Show on Cape Talk, your number one news and talk station. The Money Show brought to you by the Old Mutual Investment Group. Do great things. Welcome to The Money Show this evening. Are you talent? Are you a talent manager? What is the difference between talent, talent manager, talent management, HR, um, human capital? So many titles for in big companies. And big companies, quite frankly, often lose the plot when it comes to managing the people who work within their organizations. Um, Mark Khan, uh, who is the global head of human resources at Investec, the last time he was here about three or four or five months ago, he said something very provocative at the end of our discussion. And he said, you know what? Good talent doesn't need to be managed. I said to Mark, we've got to do that. So the day has arrived and Mark Khan, it's nice to see you again. Nice to see you too. Thanks for having me here. Is there a role for HR? Absolutely. Is there? A I di- certainly hope so. Otherwise, I <laughs> might not get a next paycheck. But is there a difference then between HR, human capital, and talent management? So you, human capital and HR are sometimes used synonymously. Uh, and talent management is commonly a, an aspect or a department or a subdivision within the human resources function. You've heard of the, the comment oxymoron. Yes, that is sweet. Is, Alan, is talent management an oxymoron? Well, it's pretty close. I, you know, I once heard someone a while back say something very clever, and it said real talent does not need to, need to be managed, and those that need to be managed are not real, are real, not real talent. And it just struck a chord with me. Why? Because in, in many respects, you know, we think about this term talent and like a great singer is a talent, a great poet is a talent. And so it becomes this sort of special, the specialness within the human capital of the organization. And we must protect it and build it and channel it in the right directions. But it's really, we forget these are human beings. We're almost like commodities there. Like you, Bruce. I mean, are you, you know, are you managed? Do you, do you need to be managed because you are talent? I'm just a number. Um, but you're talking about singers and poets. Exactly. They are artists. Exactly. So the moment you try to, to, to manage an art, an art form, the moment you tell, uh, I don't know, you, if you try to tell John Lennon, I'm, I'm afraid that you can't sing with those other three blokes, and the Beatles would never have existed, and John Lennon may have never have had a solo career, and the world would have been poorer as a result. Art forms are different, aren't they, to running a financial services business or running a construction business. Those are not artists. These are people who've got CAs and MBAs. They're functionaries. Okay, they? so well, therein lies what you call the oxymoron because, you know, if you compare your, uh, you know, solid citizen members of organizations that deliver the tasks necessary, do you need special management for them? Question mark. Because mm-hmm. in that sense, they're not your sort of artistic talents. But if you took, you know, Steve Jobs, Winston Churchill, any of these great talents, uh, you know, Bruce Whitfield, do you, let's can stick, you imagine let's, let's being stick managed? With Steve Jobs and Winston Churchill. Okay. But I'm just saying, can you imagine trying to manage these people? What, actually, you'd get in their way. And that's what's meant by real talent does not need to be managed. Now, I, I think it's a bit of an overstatement because obviously it is very important for an organization to think about its people very carefully and play them to their strengths and ensure that, you know, the best of the best are supported and put into the right environment 
Yes. Okay, so you need to divide your workforce up then. You've got people who maybe you know, put the widgets together. So in Apple, for example, Apple's got multiple levels. Um, it's got at the top, let's assume it's had lots of talent, and Steve Jobs was a talent. Steve Wozniak was a talent in that organization. Then there would have been people who wrote the code. Um, and lots of people can write code. There may be more talented coders than others, but generally if you've got a 1,000 coders, 900 of the coders will be good coders, maybe some of the best coders in the world, but they're not the talent. And then you've got the guys in the factory who put the phones together in China, um, who put phones together more beautifully than other people put phones together, but are they the talent? Do you divide your workforce like that? So I don't think we should be dividing our workforce like that, although it is fairly common practice to stratify people and then have special programs for different groups. And I think there's a, a fundamental philosophical problem with that, but it's also a practical problem. The philosophical problem with that is that you know, really, when you take, you know, the good old story that I, I mentioned last time where Einstein said if you take a fish and you ask it to climb a mountain, it looks a fool, you drop it in the sea, you call it a genius. Mm. A lot of the time, the programmer sitting on the long, you know, the program you just described is sort of run of the mill kind of code programmer, a, a thousand people just like him, ready to take his job. How do you know that he isn't someone that can deliver something quite extraordinary for your, for your business, but he's, he's, climbing a mountain and if you just shifted him and put him in some water suddenly something happens how do you know who your talent are that are sort of special the special ones and you've got to be very very careful because you know you can flip you can flip that in two directions you can kind of create a destiny for your solid citizens where they never ever get the kind of airing or exposure or opportunity because they're on a stream A where they were not recognized and they're just the regulars. And then you've got those that got classified as talent, but actually they're really painful, difficult people that cause more <laughs> destruction than anything else and they get all the kudos. So you've got to be very careful. There are unintended consequences in doing that. I think the real trick is to think about playing people to their strengths and everyone should be considered to be played to their strengths. And what is the right environment? What is the water for you as a fish? Okay, so then you don't know who the talented people are, so you need to treat everybody equally um, and let the talent rise. Yes. That's talent management. Great. I'm, I'm, I, like that as a, I like that as a definition. I much prefer that as a definition. Just write it down. You allow it to emerge. Okay. But, at the, the, you know, you can't say then the point arrives where it's emerged, now you can catch it. <laughs> you see, it never, ever gets caught. It's always emerging because it's always already happening. But, okay, so... I mean, there's a fabulous story. I'm reading Boris Johnson's book at the moment. Boris Johnson, the mayor of <laughs> London, yes. has written the biggest hero-worshipping book on Winston Churchill, the genius of Winston Churchill. And he admits Winston Churchill was a difficult, obnoxious guy who drank too much, who was prone to manic depression. He was deeply complex, and he had a very checkered career. Gallipoli was landed on him. He was self-serving. He was self-promotional. There is a lot not to like about Winston Churchill, but there came a point in 1940 when Neville Chamberlain had been um, shown to have been had the wool pulled over his eyes by Adolf Hitler when he came, peace in our time. Um, and Neville Chamberlain was dying. He had cancer. And there was a decision to replace Neville Chamberlain. And there was a guy called Lord Halifax who everybody, the king, everyone wanted Lord Halifax. And one of the reasons Lord Halifax um, didn't want to become Prime Minister of Britain in 1940 was he was in the House of Lords and he didn't want to go and manage the commoners. But mostly he didn't want to have to manage Winston Churchill. <laughs> and because Winston Churchill was so blimmin' unpredictable. Um, and that was part of Winston Churchill's genius. Winston yes. Churchill found his place in 1940. And anybody who tried to manage Winston Churchill in that context would have been sorely disappointed, I suspect. 
absolutely. I mean, try to manage a human being itself is a bit of a tricky idea. You know, what you do is manage tasks, you manage operations, you manage systems. Managing people is a little bit more kind of aside. Nozzy in Ferndale wants to fight with you. I'm okay. going to sit back, Nozzy, and let you shout at Mark Khan. Hello, Nozzy. <laughs> Hello, Mark. Hello. Okay, hit me. <laughs> um, okay, so it's a very clever uh, comment that about real talent not requiring any management, but you've just proven that it requ- it actually does require management. And I understand where you're coming from in terms of managing the tasks, uh, managing what it is that they have to do. But at the same time, sometimes talent doesn't quite know which direction they need to go in or they want to go in. And as a manager, a good manager, you would see that and you would be able to guide them. You would be able to manage them for them to reach their full potential. So real talent absolutely needs to be managed. Yeah, look, I think we don't want to get into semantics, but I would agree with you, but I need you to do one small change in your narrative there. And I need you to change the word management to leadership. Because if you really okay. look at it, you know, imagine taking a great talent who's sort of a little bit compass is sort of flicking left and right and then you call them and then you try and take control of them. You're likely to get a negative outcome. But leadership is something very different. You know, it's not a control instruction-based activity where there's a sort of an assumption as if we know and we're going to take control and manage this thing, a bit like we hope ESCOM is doing. You know, <laughs> uh, assuming this talent. Well, you know, <laughs> no, I don't, okay. But uh, we could definitely go down that dark hole yeah. right now, but we'll pull back. But I think that the question is, you know, to what extent do you, and, and, and Bruce used this word earlier just before we come on here, he said, unleash. In, in many respects, I'd like to change the whole notion of managing talent to the notion of unleashing it, giving it room, letting it have space, breathe, and then providing the context for it oh, she's and gone. the support. Okay. Um, all right. Now, there's a great difficulty here because the vast majority of people who run businesses mm. have got two letters after their names, CA, chartered accountants. A lot of chartered accountants go into managing businesses. Chartered accountants are about process and bean counting and ticking boxes and ensuring that the job is done. Now, you're telling a chartered accountant that you need to unleash the talent. Yes. It goes contrary. Of course. And it, and it to should. To the should. management, and I use that term with, with emphasis, culture. Absolutely. And, and it is contrary and it, you put your finger on it. You know, we see this in sort of like the operations, the COOs and the CFOs and the CAs. They want to be able to see something on a graph, on a spreadsheet. They want to be able to commoditize it, scale it, measure it. And then when they look at their human talent, their human capital, which is why I don't like that term because mm-hmm. it again makes it a bit of a commodity. Yep, then so they want to see it, how it can be measured, scaled, you know, and, and put on a graph. But human beings are very different. You know, human beings are not commodities. Human beings are unique. Each, each and every human being is totally unique with a personal story, brimming with emotions. We don't only work for the money. We yeah, do, yeah, we, yeah we, I leave that stuff at home, Mark. You have to do a job. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we got to manage you so that we can take the cookie cutter and we make you into the shape we want. Exactly right. That's it. And you see how far that gets you. But, but, but most companies go along and grow at 10 or 15% a year in good times taking that approach what's wrong with that well you would get a very average kind of fairly lackluster growth if you aren't prepared to unleash i love that word of yours Mm. unleash the people that you have to really be extraordinary but then how do you then as the manager or the leader and maybe we need to change the terminology now how do you lead 
pack of unleashed talent um, that are going in, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100 different directions at any one time. That becomes the reason why management works the way management does top down and the theory goes, yeah, yeah, everybody's got to say, please. Um, (laughs) But the reason why management structures have evolved that way is because it does give the person who is charged with being in charge some level of control control and certainty for the chaos beneath. Yes. Because unleashing talent is probably one of the most terrifying things you can suggest to a chief executive. Yes, and it's that it's that fear that it's that fear that gets the edge for real extraordinary outcomes. And if you are uh, afraid and you want to de-risk everything that you do, well, then you must expect a couple of percent growth every now and then because people are going to f- to work towards templates and cookie-cutter ways, and you're going to get this sort of predetermined outcome every time. Okay, let me put it to you this way. Steve Jobs, perhaps one of the greatest mm. um, technology talents of all time, um, they tried to manage him, they fired him, they brought him back and unleashed him. Mm. He was a mean manager. He was a draconian Martinet of a manager. He was vicious from all the books I've read. Never experienced it myself. But he was the opposite of what he was. You know, he, he acted opposite to what he wanted to be, how he wanted to be treated. Well, I'm not sure. If, I don't think he would have necessarily been, you know, br- a broken spirit if someone had given him a mouthful. I would be surprised. Yeah, I would say he'd be prepared yeah. to take you on. Okay. And, and my guess is he would expect a people to stand up and, and be counted. But if you were going to say something, it better be worthwhile. Erin and Alberton, um, you want to talk about talent management? Yes, Bruce, how are you doing? Very good, Erin. Give us your view. Uh, thank you for a great show and welcome to your guest. Thank you uh, for all your insights so far. Um, I'm just calling in connection with talent and talent management. And um, yeah, basically I've got a gripe for that. And the main gripe I have is that I work for a well-known organization in Johannesburg. I won't mention their name. Um, And they often talk about managing talent and unleashing talent, but that never happens because the people that are their friends and people they know get the promotions and get get into the right pipelines where the people that have talent don't. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Erin and Alberton. I mean, yeah, it, it, because talent, driving talent, unleashing talent is the hardest skill for any leader to perform, I guess. You know what's interesting about Erin's comment? It's almost like there are two levels in his organization, and they're in every organization. There's the espoused level where they tell you, we've got this talent management program, and these are the criteria, and everyone gets on like this, and that's the big you know, song and dance, and the email goes out and so forth. And there's a policy for it and everything. And then there's the below the surface where we all know how it really works. Why don't we just get rid of the above the surface nonsense and work at the below the surface level, at the relationship level, and, and try and but work no with rules. it in a real and, way? And don't, uh, How do you work then with no rules in an environment which is rules-based? Well, there are rules. You know, there obviously are rules. I mean – the rules are the commercial are, are the commercial constraints of the organisation. It's inside a market. It's trying to produce a, a result. If it doesn't win, it'll start losing money and it'll you know see it'll it'll see red. How do you give talent boundaries without managing talent? I would actually say that the question should be flipped. How do you get rid of boundaries for talent so that it can perform extraordinary? 
okay, and then simply provide a compass and a steer and help along the way. I think talent management should be flipped and be called get out of the way of talent. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, I'm liking it a lot, but I'm, I, I'm just not seeing a practical application. That, well, you know, that's – I mean, I'll, I'll say something very risky here as an HR lead. Um, I'm not sure that companies need a talent management department or talent managers. I, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if we kind of over-engineered something – you know, we, we actually just need to work with what's there. The leaders in the environment, the existing managers, the HR consultants. I mean, there's more than enough people to be working with the context to make the water for the fish or change it yeah. to, you know, do we really need to make a specialization that, you know, invents products and systems and processes for something which is actually innate already and is likely to encumber people with more things rather than leave them more unencumbered to be able to do what they do brilliantly anyway. So HR should focus on leave forms, sick leave, um, and making sure the paychecks are, uh, arrive on time. Well, that's one small aspect of what HR should do, which no, but, is but, important. But you're saying, uh, you're saying yeah. you know, the talent management thing, the, the, the talent so what management I think, aspect needs to be dispensed with. I think the HR consultants need to support existing managers and leaders to think about their people like that fish and the water. And, Who and does it best? Who does the unleashing of talent best? Anywhere in the world that you've come across. Well, I'll tell you what I've been very impressed with recently. Virgin um, are talking about scrapping leave. Scrapping it completely. That's, that's Richard Branson PR. Come on, you don't okay. believe it. All right. But I'm just saying they're talking about, they've talked about it seriously enough okay. that it's sort of it's on the table. Um, the notion is that really good talent, really good people, let's take the word talent, it's really good people, are focused on delivery, and they will deliver, and they'll take leave when they need to take leave. And if, they've, if they're away too much, you'll kind of talk to them and say, but look, what's happening here? You're not delivering. You're not around. I needed you. And then you'll have a real conversation about it. And because they're committed and focused, they'll do it. You know, they'll reduce their leave. And what, what some research that's experimented with this have found is that it's counterintuitive. When you tell people you can have as much leave as you they want. They take nothing. They take less than mm. if you tell them they have to put in But how leave. productive is that, you see? It's very productive. You get an increase. If you give people, uh, uh, you work from nine to five, clock in and clock out. They work less hours than if you say work when you need to, but you need yeah, to be yeah. here the majority of the day. And that's what I'm talking about. You know, when you put boundaries in, then people work with those boundaries and they usually game but them. But all you do is you make people paranoid. I know lots of people, particularly women who've made a call to try and get work-life balance with kids. When, they've had, when women have had kids, they say, I'm just going to do a half day. So they do their half day from 6 a.m. until 1 p.m. And then they do the other half day from like 8 p.m. when their kids go to bed till midnight. And they end up doing possibly more than others. Um, it's true. I mean, I, I, I work with some women in my, in my area that probably are, are doing two days work in one day almost every day. And I've got kids and often flexi time. Yeah. And I've got some men who are single. At night, they have nothing to do other than go to a bar. And they do half the work that the women on flexi time are doing. But again, it proves something. It isn't about putting the, this is the time you work. This is how you do it. It's about letting it go. But setting goals and saying, we need this goal achieved. That's it. Go and fetch. Setting the goal. I mean, that's what you have. You, and I know you don't want me to focus on you, Bruce, but you are a talent. No one has to tell you how well, look, to do the show so well. Is that the time already? Mark Khan, <laughs> thank you so much for coming in. Uh, he, he is not a talent manager. He's the global head of human resources at Investec. Mark Khan, thank you for your time again and for really schmuggling with my brain this evening. Thanks, Bruce.